Rocky Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast, presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. JJ Jerez, Arif Dean here, coming to break down another single game, but a good bounce-back game, Arif. I would say almost as predictable as can be, right? I think you come off a game where you get shut out against the Winnipeg Jets, and a couple things could be for certain. I think uh, Nathan McKinnon coming out to have a big game is something you can count on. The Avalanche bouncing back and uh, just you know making a statement, especially against a team that's on the second night of back-to-back. I don't even want to throw stones at the fact that it was the Buffalo Sabres, but the fact that it was a second night of a back-to-back, because the Buffalo Sabres are a pretty decent team from what we even saw ourselves last night. Yeah, I mean, yes, they are 10-13-1. They are 3-6-1 now in their last 10 after that loss, but... They, they've scored 90 goals. They have weapons. Rasmus Dahlin's on pace for 90-something points. Tage Thompson's doing his thing. Uh, 15 goals for Tage Thompson, one more than Miko Rantan, and he's in the what top What a spectacle five. that guy is. I, he's massive. He's just this big giant. But, hey, yesterday in the battle of centers traded for Ryan O'Reilly, he was second. So uh, he <laughs> lost. Um, but he's JT just, Comper he's, being first, of course. Yeah, of course. And and he's just a behemoth of a man and plays center. Six foot seven plays center. He's a giant. There was a play where he had an avalanche player kind of like hanging off of him as he was skating into the zone. And I'm like, he's twice his size. And it wasn't even Gerard. If it was Gerard, it would have been up to like his freaking knees. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, they have the weapons right now. They can get it done. Um, and they scored four goals. And, and that's a good amount of goals to score. But yes, like you said, Coming off of a shutout, if there's one thing you can expect from the Avalanche, it's a high offensive night. And uh, despite the fact that they continue to play a lineup with a lot of guys that aren't going to see time if they're fully healthy at some point, they did it again. And it was because of the big guys. They did it again. I think that's the that's the real big thing, right? I mean, for a while, it was just a pretty even back and forth hockey game. Then the power play came, put the weight upon its shoulders and said, hey, we're this league's best power play we're gonna come and prove it and you know kind of like we've been talking all season mckinnon the power play georgiev well you had two of those three last night really come through yeah absolutely and and the big thing with the power play my favorite stat is they were oh for whatever against the winnipeg jets and they remained first place and then they scored three for six yesterday and now they're back up to 33.8 percent on the pp uh 3.7 more than second place which is the team you're facing on saturday so just an exceptional power play, man. And it's it's just so crazy to see how good that PP does without the weapons that they have sitting on the sideline. And uh, most obviously, most notably, Nichushkin and Landeskog because the first JT Comfort goal, the power play one where he was in tight, mucking it up. I think you mentioned it on a show last week where you said JT's kind of like a mini Landeskog, the way he plays on the power play, just a style of play in general. Obviously not as much skill, offensive skill, I should say, but he's got that type of game and he had it once again in uh, on that power play. He was right there in the crease scoring the type of goal that if 92 was healthy, that would have been his goal. So really quickly, the reason why this power play can only get better is because on the off chance that the top unit doesn't score, you know, and that being McKinnon, Rantanen, uh, Landeskog, Makar, and probably Nachushkin. Well, then you can have weapons like Rodriguez, JT Comfort, Devon Taves, Bowen Byram, and then insert whoever you want into that fifth spot on the second unit, probably Arturi, well, actually Nachushkin, because Lekkinen would be on the top unit. So you would have Nachushkin playing with Comfort and uh, Rodriguez on that second pair with Byram and Taves. Suddenly you have a second pair with weapons as well, and Comfort doing what he did in the crease in that first goal yesterday, he would be doing it on the second unit. 
Yeah, good stuff out of Confer. Just just typical Confer style play, right? Just getting back to what you're good at, getting back to your strengths. And yeah, I picture JT Confer sitting there. I mean, it, it's got to be a decently long flight from Winnipeg to Buffalo. He's got mm-hmm. his AirPods in and he's listening to Hockey Mountain High like yes. most people tend to do. And he's just like, who the hell is this JJ guy? And why is he talking so much shit on me? I've been playing well. Well, I'm going to show him. So um, no, I like the I like the step up game from JT Confer. I like it being in Buffalo too, right? Just kind of again seizing an opportunity against a back uh, a team on a back to back. And yeah, I, I thought just the same things as you. You know, the the mini Landeskog comment came into my head. I was watching that game because he was showing that style of play. He was looking like himself, and that's the JT Confer we've been waiting for all season long. So I'm happy to see him, and hopefully he could just figure out a way to keep that consistent and and keep plugging away at, at being that JT Confer we know and love. Yeah, I mean, it was the style of play that's going to make him a lot of money this summer as a free agent. If you know, if that's the route that he goes, he is obviously a pending UFA, and you know, I've gone back and forth on is JT Comfort going to get big money as a UFA? But let's just say the Avalanche either repeat as Cup champs or make it to the Final Four. They lose in the semis in the Western Conference Final, or they lose in the Stanley Cup Final, or they win the Stanley Cup. JT Comfort is going to play a big part of that. And a couple summers ago, Tampa Bay had a couple of guys in Barclay Goudreau and Blake Coleman that played a big part. And both of them are making upwards of three and a half million on long-term, I think five and six-year deals or both six-year deals in Calgary and with the New York Rangers, two good teams. Granted, they both kind of suck right now. Um, So JT playing that style of play that he had last night, the guy that we said needs to step it up offensively. Suddenly what one night makes all the difference. He had a goal and seven assists through his first 20 games. He's now up to 12 points in 21 games. So he's over a point per game. He's on pace for more than 40. Um, Tripled his goal totals from one to three. uh, Added a couple of assists. This is my favorite stat that I figured out is took him the first 12 games of the season to get four points. It took him the next eight games to get another four points. It took him one game to get his third set of four points. (laughs) It's an unreal game. And it was against a team that drafted him uh, many moons ago before he was traded for Ryan O'Reilly. And uh, that was the JT Comfer you want to see more of. That was the JT Comfer that you're comfortable playing as your second line center when Nazem Kadri gets hurt in the Edmonton series. That's the guy you want to see. I would say not only that, you know, the power play point or the power play goal was was huge, but the fact that he got one on 5v5 too, right? I mean, we talk all the time about how effective his line is, um, you know, his his regular line with Cogliano and uh, Logan O'Connor. And... Usually it's Logan O'Connor that's that's chipping away and uh, making some noise and putting points up on the board. So to see him get one five on five, too, I think is also assuring because when everybody's healthy, everything's normalized. That's the group he's going to be playing with. And that's where he's going to get most of his ice time, not not with PP one. So um, just the fact that he can get back into the swing of things with his own line, too, I think is equally as important. Yeah, I mean, well, I would assume that. Cogliano was playing with Helm on the fourth line and depending on what the Avalanche do with another addition or if Galchenyuk picks it up, I would assume Logan O'Connor's with Cogliano and Helm as well. Granted, there's a big chance that the third line going into the playoffs would be Rodriguez, Comfer, O'Connor. So, yeah, I mean, those are the guys. Those are the types of players he's going to be playing with. Um, You forget about Helm, though, because you haven't seen him all year long, but you're right. You're right. He is skating with Sean Allard, him, Bowen Byram, and Val Nachushkin are all skating with the skills coach right now in Denver while the Avalanche are on this road trip. So hopefully we get some updates on them here pretty shortly. And uh, 
and Darren Helm could come back because this is the guy that last regular season, he was a guy. He was in the lineup. He just kind of played his role. Very rarely was healthy scratch, but he was healthy scratched a few times and then came the playoffs and then came the real guy that you wanted to see. I loved the Helm Cogliano connection, those two veterans. Uh, but going back to Confer, <laughs> <laughs> so that goal that he scored at five on five, he wires it past Ukopeka Lukanen and just a phenomenal shot. And uh, again, that's the type of game you want to see from this guy. Offensively, he had it five on five. Uh, offensively, he had it on the power play, but most importantly, as usual, defensively, he had it at five on five, doing the little things that you don't notice. And then when you combine it with a four point night, you start to realize, okay, this is a complete player doing complete player things. Because the very first time we talked about him a week ago with Peter, not even a week ago, it was about how he's got one goal and seven assists or whatever it was. And now he's got one goal and seven assists, but he's got it with the defensive game that he always played. And yesterday was just another game that he did that. Yep, let's uh, let's string a few together here, JT. If you, I know you're listening to this one too. I know you're already in Boston, but maybe on your flight to Philly, you're catching this shortened edition of Hockey Mountain High. And let's just keep going, keep keep them stringing together. But with that, I think players that you do notice, uh, Nathan McKinnon with a five point night, just unreal. Real quickly, last thing that I want to mention on JT because this was crazy to see. There was a total of sixty eight faceoffs in the game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. JT took thirty two of the sixty eight, and of the thirty two, he he won twenty one of them. And a lot of them were in the defensive zone. So he was scoring offensively. He was scoring and pitching it on the power play. And he was winning faceoffs for the Avalanche. I repeat, somebody on the Avalanche was winning faceoffs, and it was JT. Well, it happens every once in a while. It's, it, again, it's about stringing them together, stringing multiple games together. But yeah, a lot of whistles last night, right? I mean, we saw right off the opening faceoff, basically, yeah. a penalty being called. Lots of penalties. I think there were 13 on the night. Um, but... I guess let's just before we get into McKinnon, let's get into, into more of the power play since we kind of already uh, touched on that a little bit. Right. You saw two five on threes, one on each side of the ice. And uh, the Avalanche really capitalized during um, their little five on three stretch there. So I think that was really big. I mean, no surprise seeing the power play doing their thing, but um, just the, the way they were able to turn it on at, at a crucial, pivotal point of the game. And, and that's essentially what won the game for. Them. Yeah, I mean. Jared Bednar after the game had some pretty good comments talking to reporters out there, which was, you know, Avalanche staff and Bennett over at the Denver Post are the only ones that are in uh, on this road <laughs> trip right now. But uh, he mentioned that there was a tough standard. There was there was a very high standard or heavy standard set by the refs on what was going to be a penalty and what wasn't. And uh, you notice that, you know, a lot of things were being called, but they were consistent on both sides. There was a total of 13 penalties. Um and then obviously when you have that many penalties, it breaks the rhythm of the game a lot. So if you look at the time on ice, this was something that Jared mentioned, uh, starting with the avalanche, Devon Taves, 2603, uh, eight minutes of shorthanded time, Kale McCarr, 30 minutes, 38 seconds in a regulation game, eight minutes and 38 seconds on the power play, six minutes and 22 seconds shorthanded, uh, go down to Nathan McKinnon. 2509, 838 on the power play, JT Comfort, 2209. More than 11 minutes combined, PP and shorthanded. Lekkonen, 25-18. He played more than 13 minutes combined, PP power play, uh, PP PK. Miko Rantanen, 25-04. He played 8-51 on the PP, obviously nothing on the PK. And then if you look at the Buffalo side, it was very similar. Rasmus Dahlin played 28 minutes. Tage Thompson was up to 21. Alex Tuck, 21. You get the point. So the big thing was uh, the, the, the penalties were breaking the rhythm of the game. But most importantly, they were also 
giving both teams an opportunity to get into the game when they needed it. So starting with that call right away uh, from Josh Manson, the Buffalo Sabres had a chance to get ahead. They couldn't. That was something that happened in Winnipeg. The Avalanche had an early penalty. They surrendered an early goal. They weren't able to recover. This time they broke, they broke that stretch. They were able to get it. Then Tage Thompson takes a penalty. JT Comfer scores. Couple minutes later, JJ Paterka ties it. Uh, some would call him the better JJ. Uh, big goal for J- for JJ Paterka makes it one. Or Jonas Johansson. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> big goal for JJ Paterka to tie it, and then late in the first period, Buffalo gets a power play. Tage Thompson scores with 11 seconds left in the first period. The power play changes things for them. In the second period, the Avalanche get that five on three. Now, if you remember watching that five on three, and I want to ask all our listeners as well. Think back to what they looked like on the five-on-three opportunity and how well they moved the puck, how they kind of pushed Buffalo deeper into their zone to the point where Nathan McKinnon had a shot from pretty much the hash marks, and that was the point That shot. was the point, yeah. Yeah, because he was the guy playing the point there. Yeah. And he scores, and then Jared's quote after the game of the guys were hungry to get another one. They had 49 seconds left on that power play on a five-on-four. What they were doing on the five-on-three, they looked better at the five-on-four. There was a play where Lekkinen kept the puck in at the blue line. There was a play where McCarr left, kept the puck in at the blue line. And then lo and behold, they muck it up down low. Lekkinen scores. Just a phenomenal power play. So the Avalanche end up taking the lead off that PP. Then they make it 4-2 to two, a couple minutes later. And then Buffalo claws back in because of a power play goal of their own. It's 4-3. to three. As make it 5-3. Buffalo scores early in the third. 5-4. You have a game until the empty netter. So the power plays for both sides, a total of five goals always made a difference. They either gave teams the lead, they put teams back into the game, they tied the game, they did a lot for both teams, and it was huge, and and the Avalanche won the battle in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think Nathan McKinnon shot, that, that shot you're referring to, I mean, that was just classic Nathan McKinnon, right? And I think we've been waiting a few games to see that, right? I remember back, what game was that last week? I think it was the Vancouver loss, right? Where we just saw Nathan McKinnon, the one that Peter Ball brought up on Sunday, where they were relying too much on Nathan McKinnon's shot on the power play, yeah. right? Well, here's a little anecdote. I'll, I'll spare some details because I don't want to throw McKinnon under the bus with his sponsors. But let's just say... After that game, I heard him talking to the, the, to the trainer about his stick, right? He kind of wanted to, uh, to tweak his stick a little bit, adjust his stick, what have you. But you saw him throw a ton of shots over the crossbar in that Vancouver game. I don't know if he got that stick or not, but you look at what he did last night, eight shots on goal, five points, looking like the McKinnon of old, right? I mean, just an accurate shot, putting that right, right in the corners that he wanted it. I think maybe that had something to do with it, but I like – we know that Nathan McKinnon's putting a more – heavy load on his shoulders in terms Mm -hmm. of uh trying to get the offense going and um you know i think that's a fun little i guess detail that might be uh helping him get going here so the last five games are at buffalo at winnipeg the home game versus dallas the home game versus vancouver you're referencing and then the road game at dallas on november 21st in those last five games how many shots do you think nathan mckinnon had combined just give me a number uh how many was that four or five games yeah, five games. Yeah, five games. Yesterday. I'm gonna say 27. <laughs> You're almost not even kind of close. 38 shots. Oof. 38 shots, and that's a guy that knows he needs to kind of carry this team right now. Granted, he only scored three goals on those 38 shots. He had 10 against the Stars on the road, eight against Vancouver in that game where he had a lot that also missed the net. Seven versus Dallas at home. Five at Winnipeg eight at Buffalo, 38 shots. He scored three of them. So that's 7.9% shooting percentage, which obviously is way below where Nathan McKinnon is going to end the season. 
Um, granted, right now he's shooting exactly seven percent, but his career, you know, his career is usually around the 10 11 mark 10.7 last year, 9.7 the year before, 11, 11, 2, 3, and then 13.73. So, this is a guy that you know is going to start to get more, but this is a guy that's shouldering the load of this avalanche offense right now and trying to make sure that he does everything in his power to make sure that a he's shooting. And B, he's generating rebounds on those shots because while Nathan McKinnon does have eight goals and while Nathan McKinnon is known for being a guy that scores goals, he's also got 25 assists in 21 games this season and four in the last five games, knowing very well that when he puts the puck on net, he's going to generate rebounds. And, you know, there's a couple Finnish players named Miko Renton and Arturi Lekinen on his line that can also score big goals. So he's doing everything he can to bring this offense up to snuff. And, and you know, that's the type of game you want from him. You just don't want him to kind of, be over-reliant on it and pressuring himself to the point where he's forcing shots. That power play goal yesterday wasn't a forced shot. That was a guy clearly in that spot where he's got a wide open look, eight bodies or seven bodies between himself and the goalie and a beauty of a shot. Yeah. I mean, all the, all the more reason, like you're saying, I mean, it's important for him to not only get his, his shots off, but to get them on net, right. And to create a rebound or just not shoot it over the crossbar and let it ring around and start the breakout for the other team. And so during that same stretch, 37 shots on goals, a ton, I I know it's not as accessible 38. Uh, I'd be curious as to how many attempts were, were made in that same stretch. Cause it, yeah. it might be almost double. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, all, all the more reason to tweak your stick and make sure that uh, it, it's firing the way you want it, because if you're putting that many shots up, uh, attempted, you need to make sure you're putting them where you want them. And uh, yeah. yeah, I guess he got that he got that stick tweak, I think, with the mid kick that he likes. I think he already, he already had the mid kick. But just for those people who are stick nerds like me, he, he mm-hmm. likes the mid kick. Yeah. And then meanwhile, you got Miko Rantanen. I know he scored an empty netter yesterday and that was one of them, but Miko ran in the same five game stretch has the same three goals and he did it on 14 shots. So, you know, that Nathan McKinnon is just putting a lot on net and trying to make sure that, uh, he's making that difference for the avalanche and he's, he's doing his Nathan McKinnon thing. Indeed. Indeed. All right. It's the shortened episode. So we got to get to our friends over here at total beverage guys. Everybody knows total beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure. Total beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. <clears throat> Arif, I hate to get to the uh, glass half empty side of the podcast here, but there's a couple topics I wanted to get to that kind of uh, follow with that theme. So I want to start with Kale McCarr. Um, I know he's still an outstanding player and he's still doing amazing things out there. Contributing on the power play, contributing offensively, doing his thing on the defensive zone, moving that puck out. But I've seen a couple errors from him recently that aren't very Kale McCarr-esque. Now, again, I'm not saying he's playing bad by any means, but I'm just kind of raising my eyebrows at like, hey, that didn't seem like a very Kale McCarr uh, type play there. or That that, that didn't seem... um, like Kale McCarr at his fullest potential. So I don't know. Are you observing the same thing or am I just kind of maybe reading too much into these details? I mean, I'm noticing them too. We saw it a little bit from Devon Taves in the playoffs last year. Uh, You know, I regret to inform you that these guys are human, but uh, Kale McCarr, as godly as he is, it's the same thing as last year. He, at the beginning of the season, he shakes off the cobwebs offensively. 
and then he shakes off the cobwebs defensively, and then he starts to pick it up. So there have been some plays there that I've noticed as well. Are they leading to direct goals? Not usually, um, but they're not Kale McCarr standard, but it's also something that you're going to see, especially in December. We've been waiting for this. The Avalanche are going to play 16 games. They're going to play every other night, pretty much, uh, you know, minus the Christmas break. And uh, this is when you're going to see him start to pick up his game. So it is worth mentioning, but I don't think it's worth anything to be to, to panic over. His defensive game, not his offensive game. He's got 24 points, so please don't, you know, look up Kale McCarr's stats and be like, what the hell are these guys talking about? His right. defensive game has been great. It could be better, though. Um, and it's something that you're going to see kind of start to pick up here. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I, I saw it a little bit in uh, Buffalo just uh, against good players, right? I mean, it's nothing to be ashamed of. You're going to make mistakes out there. But, yeah, I think some defensive mistakes have been showing their face a little bit. My biggest worry and I'm not saying this at all. I'm not speculating. I'm not, um, th- you know, hypothesizing that he's hurt in any way. But you got to think if he were to be hurt, he's probably going to f- uh, play through it right now, unless it's so much so that he can't, right? Because they just don't have the personnel to plug in there right now. So I think a Kale McCarr at 70, 75% is going to be better than the next guy up. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know. Again, I don't want to get too much into this topic because I don't even actually think he's hurt. But uh, yeah, I, think- I mean, he has taken a few big hits. We've seen him skate off gingerly a few times over the last 10 games. But I don't I definitely don't think he's hurt because the avalanche, I don't care what part of the regular season it is. I don't care how many injuries you got. You're not trotting Kel McCarr out there for 28, 29, 30 minutes a night if he's hurt at all. Sure late November, early December. That's not a thing Jared Bednar would do. So I don't think that's the case. And then really quickly, just to go back to what we were talking about, 38 shots on goal in five games. You want to know how many shot attempts? 58. So that's Nathan McKinnon putting 58 shots more than 10 plus times per game, more than 11, more than 12 times per game, almost 12 per game, I should say. Shots on the net. Shots at the net. Shots (laughs) shots at the net. Over the last five games, like that's wild. My wrist would be hurting just taking sh- sixty shots, let alone doing it in NHL action over five games. That dude wakes up and shoots a hundred pucks before he even brushes his teeth. And then he brushes his teeth, comes to the practice ring, shoots, shoots 100 another hundred <laughs> before the guys even get on the ice. Then he participates in practice, shoots more, gets in the locker room. That's 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 McKinnon's what he does. Yeah, indeed, right. We've seen the uh, over the summer how they showed us his little backyard growing up and his ghetto ass net that was falling apart (laughs) (laughs) i could just i I picture him shooting that shot yesterday on his first goal and i I, it took me back to maybe picturing him as a child like shooting is just so easy for him he's done it so much he 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 loves it he's you know analyzed every little detail on how to shoot a shot that he he might have you know one of the most dangerous shots in the nhl if not the most dangerous shot yeah the neighbors are like could you go to bed and stop making noise and he's like no i'm gonna make the nhl one day and wasn't it wasn't it on a lake like i yeah if he if he shot the puck wide there doesn't it go 50 feet into the middle of a light of a lake and then, and then he goes he goes swimming and fishes out every single one because he's so competitive he won't even let a puck go Right. He has to memorize exactly where each one of them went. I'm, yeah. I'm with that. But <laughs> Holds his breath and goes, <gasps> goes down and finds a puck. And if he can't find it, he'll come back up. He'll, God dang it. Has a stopwatch there too. Like, man, I did it 30 seconds faster last week. Yeah. I, I only fainted yes. twice today. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that's glass half empty for me, that's Alexander Georgiev. I think two games in a row, he's, he's looking human. Right. That's after we pumped his tires so hard for so many weeks in a row. So I guess it's it might be time to see him make some mistakes. And and I think mistakes is kind of what we've seen. 
defensemen have been kind of leaving them out to dry in the last two games. I mean, Not, but they have all season. Yeah, they have the all season. Um, and yeah, we're, we just saw a couple plays out of Georgiev where he, he's looking a little lost in the chaos. Yeah, um, I regret to inform everybody that Georgiev is too, in fact, human. And that's one that I didn't know because he is a Russian machine that never <laughs> breaks is what I thought. So, um, you know what? It happens. Two bad games in a row. He's surrendered nine goals on 52 shots, I want to say. Um, his save percentage was 933. Do you know where it's at now? What is it? Well, that just goes to show that you don't read my articles. Thank you. But he's <laughs> he's down in 922 after those two games. Down to 922. Like, that's still pretty damn good. Um, stretches like this will happen. The most important thing is to not, you know, take any bad habits from them and let that kind of hinder your game. Because we saw in that J.J. Paterka goal, the first one, he was way overcommitted to the passer. Mm -hmm. And Paterka had a wide open goal. So you don't want to see things like that. Um while JT Comfer was listening to Hockey Mountain High to remind him that he's a better player, Georgiev maybe needs to stop listening to Hockey Mountain High because he's like, I'm, I'm fine. I don't even got to try. These guys anymore. are right. I'm sick. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sick. What the hell do I got to do now? Uh, I don't even got to practice that hard. And now he's like, oh, shit, maybe I do. And yeah. Jared's screaming at him, like, stop listening to that damn podcast. I knew they were going to get in your head. So it's it's a whole thing. You know, Jared loves us, too, though. He's listening. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't I don't blame uh, Georgiev fully on that play because he had a defenseman there. His number one job is supposed to be to block that pass. If he's going to be standing where he was standing, he needs to emphasize stopping that pass across to JJ Paterka. And that's why Georgiev was challenging so hard because he's like, all right, you've got that pass. I'm going to take this shot. And then turned out nobody had that pass. Yeah. So then it just looks silly and it's a bad goal. But you know what, man? Like, Georgie will pick it up. He he's too good of a goalie to let two bad game, games like this hinder him. And the Avalanche have some pretty fun games coming up. I mean, Saturday they are in Boston. Then they go to Philly, which should be an easy win. And then next Wednesday they are home against the Bruins and then against the Rangers on Friday. So big, big games, especially those two against the Boston Bruins where you kind of wonder which way the Avalanche are going to go. Is it going to be Georgie or Pavel Francis and, and, uh, Either way, it's it's going to be a tough competition and and a game to really pick it up if you're if you're Georgie. Yeah, what I was going to say about Georgie on Buffalo, I mean, it's great to not necessarily have a great game and still come out with a W, right? Yes. You and I both uh, watched that Seattle Kraken LA Kings game the other <laughs> night that went nine to eight, and there you have a uh, was it Martin Jones in that? I think Martin, Martin Jones. Jones. Yeah, he was Martin the one Jones that didn't change. Walks away from that game saying, "Hey, I led in eight goals, but we won." So yeah, this new cares? NHL is great. <laughs> Love it here. Uh, yeah, that's a big thing. I mean, look, we we've been talking about this for weeks. How many games in a row was it where the Avalanche games were hitting the under? And it was because Georgia was making so many saves. The only the Avalanche only needed a specific amount of goals to win the damn thing. Well, he has a bad game against Winnipeg. The Avalanche have a bad game offensively. They get shut down completely. They put 40 shots on Hellebuck, a lot of them from the perimeter. Not a lot of opportunities. You take that one. You crumple it up, you throw it in the garbage, you come out the next night, your goalie lets in four goals, but you still put five on their goalie and then an empty netter. So those are the types of games you want to see. That's the kind of game that's going to gain more trust between Georgie and his team to kind of be like, hey, you know what? Thanks. I'm in this bad stretch right now, and you guys still build me out in the second game, scoring five goals of your own and then an empty netter. So uh, despite the four goals against, he gets the W. That's the most important thing to him. Work on the bad habits, work on what went wrong, and fix it for the next one.
Yeah, like you said, Boston coming up on Saturday. I think you definitely go Georgiev on that one just because of what Boston's doing so far and what Georgiev has done so far. He has proven to be your number one goalie right now. So uh, you want to have your number one goalie over uh, against such a tough team like Boston. I don't think Pavel Francouz has the track record against Boston to necessarily put him in, in there, right? Because that's how Jared Bednar likes to decide. He's not necessarily all about oh, who's playing better than whom right now? He's more like, okay, what have you done against this team in the past? Then that, that's kind of what helps him decide. So I think Georgiev is still a good option for the Boston Bruins and then let Pavel Francouz take the game uh, against the Flyers and let Georgiev get reset for Boston again next week. So yeah, two out of your next three games against the Boston Bruins. Got to kind of focus up here. Yeah, and you know what? Like I don't, I wouldn't blame Jared if he goes to Pavel, and I don't think Pavel Francouz is, you know, necessarily putting he's him no in. Bum. His, he's no bum. It's not like you put in Francouz against the Bruins, and you're like, well, the Avalanche just threw the game away. Like, that's absolutely not the case. Uh, but when you have, uh, what's his face? When you have Allmark in Boston doing what he's doing, he's 13-1, and one, and he's got a 935 save percentage. And then you got Georgie, who's at a 922 now, obviously, after those two losses, and he's 11-3-1. and one. You kind of want to give, and you, and also, the fact that Boston has played 13 games at home and they're 13 and 0 at home, breaking an NHL record for the most wins in a row to start a season on home ice. You kind of look at Georgie and Georgie looks at the team and kind of says like, Hey, this is, this is the type of game I want. I want to beat Linus Allmark, assuming he starts, which I bet he does. I want to beat Linus Allmark. I want to beat the Bruins at home. I want to be the one to end that stretch and, you know, use that as an opportunity to bounce back. If he loses that game, it's going to suck, but you know what? You'll get another crack at him in Denver if the Avalanche, you know, choose to go Philly for Frankie and then Georgie back again at home next Wednesday. So tons of opportunity for him to bounce back from these two games. I think that Boston one will be a big one. But again, I have to preface, like I prefaced all of this by saying, if it ends up being Francis on Saturday, that's by no means a bad decision. I just think it would be cool to see uh, Georgie get that game against Olmark and the Bruins. Here's a small caveat uh, in that matchup. The Bruins last played on Tuesday where they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning at home. Then they had no games all the way up until Saturday. So three days off in between games, that could either be a good thing or a bad thing. But I think for a team like Colorado who likes the rhythm and plays with pace, I think Boston having three, four days off might be a hindrance to their game. And uh, Avalanche should be able to maybe pounce on something early. And you know very damn well that that's the type of thing that Nathan McKinnon knows before the game. And that's the type of thing that makes him salivate at the opportunity of like, all right, let's just first period, jump on them and, you know, hope they don't weather the storm. Right on. Well, that uh, completes the docket, Arif. Of course, as we uh, forgot to end our show on Tuesday, it was some World Cup combo, right? Yeah. So group phase is uh, getting... It's winding down here. Today's the last down. day. And if, you, if you've if you caught me kind of uh, uh, dragging my words at the end of sentences with some pauses because I'm watching Uruguay and Ghana right now and it's two to nothing Uruguay and I'm trying to pay attention to two things at once. It's that it's it's a weird thing. I told you the World Cup at this time of year, but it's it's been really fun. These group stages. Absolutely. A lot of drama, too. Right. I mean, the the group with Poland, Mexico, Argentina, Saudi Arabia the other day. I mean, Friends. having those two games go on going on at the same time and then uh, just living through the drama. Right. How things are changing minute by minute. And you're like, yeah. oh, well, now this team's out now. Now this team's in and now oh, oh Mexico yeah. still has a chance. It's just been 
it's it's lived up to the hype. Yeah, and France was sitting at home trying to wonder who's going to come out second in that group. Is it going to be Mexico? Is it going to be Saudi Arabia? It ends up being Poland because that's the team they're going to play in the first round of the uh, the knockout stage, the round of 16. So big one there. The even bigger day was yesterday. <laughs> Costa Rica, Germany, and Spain against Japan was just wild because all Spain needed was a win and they're in or a win and a, or, you know, a tire loss and a, a, and a Germany win. And there was a point in both those games. Obviously Japan ended up winning two to one. There was a point in the Germany game, which they ended up winning four to two that Costa Rica got a goal after Germany was kind of dominating, goes the other way, scores, takes a two to one lead. There was about a five minute stretch. It was actually Costa, three, three minute stretch. Thank you. Where Costa Rica was up two to one. Japan was beating Spain two to one. And for those three minutes, the live results showed Costa Rica and Japan advancing, Spain and Germany going home. What ends up happening is that second Japan goal with a very close goal line, maybe out of play, maybe whatever. I know bush you, league call. I know no, it wasn't a bush league call. It's a this bush is why goal. I think it was a bush league call, Arif. If there was the linesman there, right? If the linesman was fast enough to get to that corner and be on that line. What do you think he would have called? He would have seen that ball cross the line, even if it's not 100% across the line, and he would have said that ball was out of bounds. Okay, and in the NHL... No, I, it, I agree. Yeah, I so agree. It's, it's VAR. It's, it's video review. It's the rule. It's not a Bush League call. It's a Bush League rule. Yes. And that's, that's ultimately what it is. You can't complain about the call. The call was made correctly. The ball, when it bounces, the part that hits the floor is entirely out. But it's I a just sphere. Think- it's I just think of I just think of how many times that call doesn't get made correctly because maybe the linesman sees the ball even a little bit over the line, raises a stupid little flag and calls it out of bounds, yeah, right? And they're and they're mostly on throwaway plays, but on a play where here is the big issue. It was a play where the linesman didn't call it out, and then a second later the ball is in the net. It's a goal. So now you have to review it, not to just be like, is it a goal kick or corner kick? You're reviewing it. It's a more higher priority review now. And that's the shitty part is it led directly to a goal to the point where that review leads to goal or no goal. So it was the right call, but it's just shitty circumstances the way it went down because there was a piece of the ball over the line and video review and VAR are there for a reason and, you know, like it or hate it. That's what the reason is for. It's to kind of show if the ball was slightly over the line, which it was. Um, But the biggest thing isn't that it's that that goal makes Japan first, Spain second in their group. So now Which I don't Spain? know if you remember, I, I told you Spain, we prefer that second spot. Yeah, so now you're playing Morocco in the first game, which is there are no slouches. But if you win that game, you're potentially going to play Portugal in the second game. So you got a tougher first opponent, and then you got, well, a tough first opponent, and then Portugal. If you were first place, you would be rewarded with air quotes like Japan is with your first game against Croatia and then potentially Brazil in the second game. So I don't know which one I'd rather take. Pick your evil. Croatia hasn't been the Croatia of 2018, but they're still pretty good. Granted, on the other side, and this is the part that I think Spain, I'm sure, understand because these are professional athletes. Croatia, you know you have a tough game. Morocco, you might not expect it, but they're a good fucking team. So you can't sleep on them. Now, the team that if we were from this country would have a podcast bitching about that call is Germany because a Spain-Japan tie, Germany goes in. A Japan goal, 
which led to making it two to one because of that call means Germany is out. So Spain, it doesn't make a big difference. It is frustrating, but it doesn't make a huge difference. Germany literally it, it resulted in them missing the World Cup, uh, missing the round of 16 stage for the second World Cup in a row. Uh, but it was the right call. And of course, exciting to see the USA, maybe the team with the worst soccer chance in all of the tournament, right? I, I One I really hate is the I, I believe, I believe that. I believe that we, I believe that we will win. That's uh, that's North America thinking they were creative. So with a brutal, <laughs> so awful. Just maybe the most embarrassing uh, chant in all of sports. But um, no, good to see the United States get through a uh, group. Netherlands is going to be a good matchup, right? I think the USA, despite being young, has a chance to win if they play right. But um, I feel like what we've seen from this tournament is a little bit of sloppiness, a little bit of immaturity, right? Uh, not really making the best decisions and, and just playing a chaotic style. So I think this team in four years is going to be a lot better, but I just, I'm, I'm happy they got out of group. That's all I really wanted out of this yeah. USA team. And uh, yeah, let's just keep enjoying the knockout stage because it's about to get crazy. Yeah. Netherlands, USA that, I mean, if, if Croatia is a tough game, if Morocco is a tough game, Netherlands is going to be an eye opener for the U S <laughs> uh, big, big, big time. And obviously granted they did tie England, uh, but group stages are nothing like the knockout stages where teams kind of up the ante a little bit, especially mm -hmm. the better teams in Europe. So it's going to be pretty wild there for, uh, for the U S against the Netherlands. Um, I do want to mention this and if any of our listeners listen to the Steve Dangle podcast, I'm going to steal a little bit of it from them. It's something I wanted to mention, but I do want to credit them because they added a little bit more to it. We've talked about this before that it's pretty wild to think how boring chants are in North America compared to like Europe and other places around the world, South, South America and places that, you know, are soccer heavy. And the one chant, this is the part that I'm going to credit the Steve Dangle podcast for, you know, the chant of like, Da, na, na, na. clap 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 mm -hmm. uh mckinnon's better clap yeah. clap whatever classic classic american chant classic american chant and that's something that uh, they mentioned on the steve dangle podcast meanwhile in europe in south america in africa and all these countries that are soccer heavy they're creating freaking like melodies and songs about a player that here's, was once arrested. here's a perfect example for you Miko Rantanan, Miko Rantanan, Miko Rantanan. Yeah, so that one, rantanan. That, that's a very simple one. That's just saying his name over and over again. But it's in a cool rhythm. It's, it's not in just, a cool rhythm. Uh, huh, huh, huh. Yeah, it's in a cool rhythm, but let's get away from the rhythm for a second. They have chants where they literally create songs about like a player that was arrested five years ago for like some domestic violence, which is nothing to joke over. And they'll sit there and make this like brutal ass chant over the sky. And it's like an entire song. It's like the first two uh, verses of an actual Eminem mm -hmm. song. <laughs> and all 50,000 people for some reason know the words like it's wild. It's crazy to me that you get people at ball arena, 18,000 people all deciding at the same time, we're going to say Frankie Frankie when he makes a save or when he was announced as, a, you know, as the goalie during the starting lineup or during the full roster lineup on opening night. But the, the way they do it in Europe, man, the way these soccer fans do it is insane. And it's not a soccer fan thing. It's a outside of North America thing. I wish, I wish we were able to get a little bit more creative with our chance here um, rather than just the go abs, go let's go abs, let's go avalanche. Boo. Yeah. So 
hopefully it's, it's can... the family environment idea right that's what we do here in north america where it's not necessarily a family ah, it's the we're we're not creative we're just sitting back drinking and they drink right. in europe too but they do it with creativity <laughs> right exactly maybe, maybe they don't work the same shitty 40 hour weeks we gotta work and healthcare is free and <laughs> <laughs> there isn't gun violence there's a whole bunch of things where they're like you know what i can you know, give a little bit of a shit about these chants rather than be stressed all the time and just That's a good, call. Boo. good call. Good call. Yeah. I mean, some of my favorite Spanish chants, I can't even repeat on this podcast because I don't want to offend anybody. Brutal. Um, but yeah, that was a good, good world cup combo. I'm glad we remembered it today. Um, and apologies to all those that hate it. Shout out to all those that love it. Yeah. Um, but that'll we do got, it. We only got a couple more weeks of this. Yep, indeed, indeed. Uh, that'll do it for today's episode of the podcast in our third of the week. So I hope you enjoyed. And uh, yeah, we'll be back Sunday to do our typical long edition of the podcast and, and get in depth on uh, more things. Hopefully uh, we see a, a win out there in Boston, but that's going to be a good game to uh, break down and analyze nonetheless. So Arif, closing thoughts for today until we come back on Sunday. Yeah, it's 9 a.m. Friday right now. We're bringing you guys an early podcast for last night's game. And Sunday will be the same thing. It will be an early podcast right after that France game at 8 a.m. Mountain Time. So if you're expecting the podcast Sunday night, it will be up Sunday morning. I'm sure nobody's going to hate that. Um, right on. Well, thanks for hanging out with us today, guys. Let me uh, let me do this. I've been forgetting to add our bump out music. So I'm going to pull back the fourth wall here and boom. <laughs> Peeking behind the curtain a little bit there that JJ's been slouching on his production. One on the cold, one running the show, I'm the one talking. Got too many things to do here to, to, to focus, but uh, <laughs> thanks everybody for... I, uh, I can't wait until you hear the show and hear how your voice muffled for three seconds there. I don't know why, but it's going to be really funny. Cool, cool. Great, great stuff, <laughs> internet. Thanks a lot, Comcast. Uh, always blowing at Comcast, those guys are over there. <laughs> don't um, get us started. Don't get us started. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think both ends are blowing it, so... Uh, if you made it this far on the podcast, bless that pretty little heart of yours. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.